Anyway, with, with Easter being next week, I've got a message today that I want to share from my heart, that I feel like God just, he just really put it on my heart. And, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about this idea of follow me. Follow me. Jesus said, follow me. And I want to talk about what it means to really become a follower of Jesus. Because when we study the life and ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, one thing that we see over and over and over again is Jesus saying to people, follow me. It shows up multiple times in every single gospel. And just so you're tracking, I want you to see this with me. If you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this is what Jesus said. He said, come, follow me, and I will send you to fish for people. And then Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. You go from Matthew to Mark and then to Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And the scripture says that Levi got up at once and followed Jesus. Then you go to the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. You see it all through the Gospels, literally in every one of them multiple times. Jesus repeats this over and over and over again. These words, follow me. Yet the truth is we don't talk a whole lot about this in church anymore. When we talk about our commitment to Jesus, we don't really focus on following him like Jesus asked his disciples to do. We focus almost entirely on simply believing in Jesus. But listen to me, there is a difference between believing in him and following him. Now let me be clear because one is not more important than the other. Believing in him is important and it's very necessary. Jesus talked about that in the Gospels too. It's crucial to believe because belief is where our faith begins. In fact, it was in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, that Paul wrote this. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Now that word justified, I want to talk about what that means for a minute because that's not a word that we typically use in our everyday language. It's a theological term that means to be right with God. Being justified means that you are found to be in good standing with God. Justified is the state of your position for eternity. You are good for eternity because you are good with God. It is, it is your standing before God. And it's really a legal term. And so the scripture it uses these legal terms, and what it's doing is it's kind of painting this courtroom scene for us that, 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 uh, that God wants us to see, and He wants us to understand that, that he, is our, he is our Heavenly Father, and he is, he is sitting as the judge over the whole earth. The Bible says that it's appointed uh, to every single one of us a, a day for judgment. God is the judge, and He is overseeing this court proceeding, and that court proceeding involves you on one side of the courtroom. And on the other side of the courtroom is your accuser. There's someone who is accusing you of wrongdoing and sin. And that accuser is none other than Satan himself. And that's who he is. That's what his name means, by the way. The name Satan, the word, literally means the accuser. And the scripture says in Revelation chapter 12 that day and night he stands before the throne of God accusing the people of God. He is accusing us constantly. He does this to all of us, and he does it mercilessly, just constantly accusing us, accusing us of all of our past wrongs, accusing us because of our sin and shortcomings, accusing us because of our failure to live up to the righteous standard of God. And here's the thing. He's right. He's absolutely right. We have all sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. We are guilty of the things that the enemy, the accuser, is accusing us of. The scripture says the one who claims to be without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. Satan accuses you before God and the sins you've, you've committed and the wrongs that you've done. He constantly brings those up before the throne of God. So I want you to picture this with me. You're standing before God, the righteous judge in heaven, and you've got an accuser standing there who's bringing up your past and bringing up everything you've ever done. What in the world are you supposed to do in that moment? There's nothing you can do. Your accuser's telling the truth. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You have messed up one time too many. You have sinned. You've made mistakes. You've got a checkered past. We all do. There is nothing you can do because you're guilty, right? Well, that's why believing in Jesus is so important. 
Because the Bible says that not only is he the son of God, he came to this earth to become your advocate. The Bible calls him a wonderful counselor. Another passage calls him our mediator between us and God. And see, when you stand on trial, accused before the judge, if you believe in Jesus, you are not standing alone because you've got an attorney that is representing you named Jesus who has never lost a case and never will. And what really makes him so amazing in this eternal courtroom drama is that when Jesus is in your corner, you're not even really the one on trial. He is because he actually stands in your place. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking towards him in John chapter 1 verse 29, he exclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, hallelujah, the sins of the world. Because of Jesus, you go from most certainly guilty to being acquitted and justified. Because when the judge looks at you, listen, he doesn't see your sin and shame. He doesn't see your failure to live up to his standard. He doesn't see what you've done in your past, regardless of what the accuser is saying about you and accusing you of. When God looks at you, he sees one thing. He sees that you've been covered by the blood of the lamb. And Romans chapter five, verse nine says, since we have been justified by his blood, we are free from the wrath of God. I feel like preaching today. I think I will. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. See, if it were only up to you, you would be found guilty and you would have no hope for any kind of future other than death, hell, and the grave. That's it. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation. For who? For those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Christ Jesus, through the law, the law of the Spirit has given you life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus literally stands up and takes your place. He stands in your place to save you. And that's what it means to be justified. And according to Romans chapter 10, verse 10, this incredible thing called justification, listen, it happens the moment you believe in your heart. You believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross to save you from your sins. You believe and you're justified. It's an amazing thing. This is the essence of unmerited favor. This is what grace is. You haven't done anything to deserve this. What you deserve is a verdict of guilty. But Jesus stands in your place. And religion tries to convince you that you've got to do something to earn God's favor. That that's not a free gift. You don't just get that. You've got to be good enough. You've got to earn it. But the scripture says that all you have to do is believe on him and his blood covers up your sin and shame. That's an absolutely incredible thing. And this is what we're referring to when we say someone got saved, what we mean by that is that someone has been justified. They've been found to now be in a right position before God, no longer under his wrath, now under his mercy and his grace. Justification, listen, it means that you've been positioned correctly before God for eternity. But that's not all. It also means that you're in position before God right now. You've been positioned correctly in life right now. You've been born again, the scripture says, which means you're now positioned and ready to walk out a brand new future for your life. Believing is the first thing. It's an essential thing. You can't know God without first believing in Jesus and the work that he's done on your behalf. And let me just talk for a minute to people who may be listening to me today, maybe in this room or online, and, and you feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in on this thing. And you say, you know what? I, I I'm not sure if I believe in this. I'm not sure that, uh, that, that, that I've made that decision to believe in Jesus. I can't say for sure that I'm justified today. Listen, again, the Bible says that it has been appointed a time for you to stand before the judge. It's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, whether you want it to or not, it's going to happen. You're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before the judge. And in that moment, it won't matter what you've done with your life. It won't matter whether or not you've been good enough or, 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 or how, how you've treated other people. None of that will matter. The only thing that's going to matter is, are you covered by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus? Are you covered by the Lamb? And that can be solved in one moment, one decision to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I believe in you. In a moment, you can know that my eternity is scheduled because I'm in right position before God. And on the day I stand before him, He's going to see that Jesus is my advocate. Jesus is covering for me. 
Jesus has been revealed so that we can believe on him. But listen, Jesus himself doesn't want us to stop there. He doesn't want us just to believe on him. He wants us to follow him. Believing in him positions us. Listen, it turns us around. It faces us in the right direction. It gives us a fresh start in life. It positions us so that then we can begin to follow him. Because following him is where we can be transformed and changed and actually live out the life that God has called us to live. According to John chapter 10, verse 10, the abundant life, the life to the full. Believing on him changes our position, but following him is where we begin to walk out a new identity in Christ Jesus. Following him is where we actually become transformed. Following him is where we become a disciple. Listen, a a disciple is not just a believer in Jesus. A disciple is someone who's actually following him, is a follower of Jesus. Let me say it like this. In the church, we use the term Savior and Lord. You've heard us say that. Jesus is Savior and Lord. That's who Jesus is. He's called our Savior because he came to save us from our sins. And he's called our Lord because he is our teacher and our master. Now listen to me. Believing in him makes him your Savior. And that's the first step of faith. But this is what I found over the years as a pastor. I found that not many people in the church have a problem with the believing part. You know, they hear the gospel of Jesus preached. The Holy Spirit works and, and he applies this truth to, to our hearts. You know, we, we hear the truth and we believe it and we make a decision to believe on Jesus and we get saved. Making him our savior is not the hard part for us, but the Lord part. This is where some of us struggle, I think. Because while believing in him is all that is required for him to be our savior, actually following him is what makes him our Lord. And this is where some of us struggle because I believe believing on him and following him are two very different things. In fact, the scripture bears this out in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, you've got Jesus saying to anyone who will listen, follow me. You've got crowds of people that are coming out to see him work miracles and teach and do all these things. And and all this is happening. You see Jesus telling people, hey, come and follow me. But there are a lot of people who were not willing to do that or could not do that. I want you to look at it with me in the scripture. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture right here. I'll show you three different instances where Jesus is saying, follow me. And you've got people saying, I I, I don't know. I I don't think I can do this. Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says this. They were walking along the road. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied to him, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, I can't guarantee you a comfortable life. He goes on in verse 59, he says to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But what this man was saying is, let me wait this out. I, I, I believe in you. I want to follow you. But Jesus, the timing isn't right for me because my father is still alive and, and we're in business together and, and he needs me. And so let me come back and follow you when the conditions are better for me to do that. And Jesus is saying, listen, that kind of mentality isn't going to work when you're trying to follow me. That's not, that's not, you, you can't wait until the conditions are right. You've got to make a decision and begin to follow me. And you contrast that with the two brothers that we read about in James And John, two fishermen who became disciples. They had a father named Zebedee, and they together had this fishing business, right? And so the Bible says that when Jesus came to them, they were out on the boat with their dad, and he looks out to them and he says, follow me. And it says that they immediately left the boat and followed Jesus. They left their dad, Zebedee, standing in the middle of the boat. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's, he's saying, like, look, this is what it's about. Like, I'm inviting you to follow me. And it's not, we're, we're going to wait until the conditions are right. No, we're going to do this right now because this is what I want to do. In verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And see, there are stories like these throughout the Gospels with crowds of people who believe on him because they've heard him teach and they've seen the miracles he's performed. But when it came to following him, 
They couldn't do it. There was another time when a whole crowd of people were walking with Jesus, and Jesus turned around and he said, you know I'm going to die, right? And if you want to follow me, you've got to drink my blood and you've got to eat my flesh. And everybody's like, we're done. (laughs) The crowd completely left him. And then he turned and looked at his disciples and he's like, are you guys leaving too? Are you really here to follow me? And this is what Jesus is saying to us. Believing that he came to save you is not the end game. Listen, that's just the starting line. And what he really wants you to do is he wants you to make him your savior and Lord. He wants you to take him up on this invitation to follow him and actually start walking with him in your life. But not everyone is willing to take Jesus up on that offer. And here's the reason why. It's because following Jesus involves a cost. It's a cost to ourselves that many of us are not willing to make. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, when he said this to his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, watch this, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see it there in the scripture? What did he say? You've got to deny yourself. That is the cost. I can't follow Jesus and still live for me. Following him, becoming his disciple means that I deny myself and I start living for him. I start following him with everything in me. Jesus goes on in verse 25 and he says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. And see, that's what following Jesus really is. It's losing your life for him. And according to Jesus, that's how you actually find the life you were created to live. That's the only way to find it. And if I may, I want to take a few minutes today and I want to talk with you from my heart because I feel like this is where a lot of you are on your faith journey. You've responded to the call for salvation. You raised your hand and said, yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm making a decision to put my faith in him as my savior. I believe in him. And in that moment, the miracle of justification happened and your position for eternity was changed with God. And that's awesome. And we celebrate that and we totally should. But maybe that's kind of where you've stopped. You've stopped at the place of belief. And literally, the Lord has put you and he set you in a new position. And you're glad to be counted among the believers, but you're just kind of standing there waiting for heaven. And see, what Jesus wants for your life is so much more than for you just to go to heaven. He wants you to become a disciple. He wants you to become a follower. (laughs) Not somebody who's content with just a a new position for eternity, but someone who's actually walking out their faith here on the earth and not just waiting to get to heaven, but watch this, taking as many people with them to heaven as they possibly can. That's what Jesus wants for your life. See, Jesus repositions us, not just for eternity, but for right now so that we can start walking out a new path for our lives. And that path involves us following him, actually becoming his disciple. And for so many of us, listen, this is what needs to happen next. You need to start following Jesus. You need to do something with this faith that you profess to have. And this is why it's so important. It matters because it's in following him that we really become transformed. See, it's in following him that we really come to know Jesus. You believe on him because you learned something about him. You learned that he could heal. You learned that he was a great teacher. You learned that he came to save you. You learned those things about Jesus and you believe on him. But when you follow him, you really get to know his heart. It's in following Jesus that you finally find freedom for your life. It's in following him, it's in process, it's in journey that the scales on your eyes begin to fall off and the weight on your shoulders begins to fall off and you finally start walking out a healed and free life that God has called you to live. It's in following him that you experience that. It's in following him that you discover your purpose. You never know what you were even put on this earth to do until you start following Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, you walk right smack dab into his destiny and purpose for your life. Listen, you can't find it apart from Jesus. You've got to follow him. It's in following him that you actually make a difference, that you stop living for yourself and you start living for other people. This is what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, to this you were called 
Because Christ Jesus suffered for you. Watch this. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You see what I'm saying today? You are not only called to believe in him. You're also called to follow him. Believing in him is not the end of the story. Believing in him is just the beginning. And Jesus meets you at that place of belief. And he invites you to come and follow him. And discover a whole new path for your life. There is a work of transformation that God wants to do in you. And the only way to experience that transformation is to begin following him, is to become a disciple of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time together today. I want to give you three areas of transformation that happen when we begin to follow Jesus. And here's the first one. When you follow Jesus, he transforms your passions. When you follow Jesus, he transforms your passion. You know, if you're, re- if you're really, if you're truly following after Jesus, you can't help but become passionate about the things that he's passionate about. And if you read the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus was really passionate about two things predominantly. One was doing the will of his Father in heaven. And the other one was loving people. Those two things. Let me show you in scripture in John Chapter 4, verse 34, this is what Jesus said. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, you guys are passionate about food. I'm passionate about doing the will of God the Father. And so I was thinking about that for my own life, and I think I'm a little too passionate about food. I need to come back to the gospel. I need to start following Jesus a little closer. You know what I'm saying? That's what Jesus said. Look, this is what I'm passionate. I'm passionate about doing the will of God the Father. And it supersedes. You guys went out to eat. You guys went to a restaurant. I had a divine appointment with a woman at a well. So I'm glad you got your food. But this is what I came to do right here. That's what Jesus is saying. Again, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. It's amazing that we're talking about following Jesus, but when Jesus was here on the earth, what was he doing? He was simply following the lead of his heavenly Father. He told them, listen, my goal is for you to see my Father in me. When you see me, I want you to see him because I am in lockstep with him, his will for my life. Listen to me, it ought to be the same for you and me. When people see the followers of Jesus, his disciples in this day and age, they ought to be able to see Jesus because we're walking in lockstep with him and God's will for our lives on the earth. Listen, the followers of Jesus ought to be bringing the will of heaven down to the earth. And I'm, uh, I'm grieved in my heart out of what I'm seeing from the church Right now, because we're getting passionate about a lot of things, that is not kingdom of God. That is not kingdom of heaven. That is not of eternal value and eternal significance. I'm seeing a lot of people in the church that claim to be followers of Jesus getting upset and irate and and going off on one another. And the thing that they're arguing about does not even matter in terms of eternal value. We've got to be about the Father's business on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus invites you to follow him. And in doing so, watch this, your will will conform to his will. So so you, as you follow him, you stop just naturally pursuing passions that do not line up with God's will for your life. And instead, you become someone who is about your Father's business here on the earth, just like he was. Let me give you one more scripture on this. It's John chapter 9, verse 4. Jesus said this, he said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Do you see that? You are invited into this with Jesus. He didn't say, I must do the works that he sent me here to do. He said, we, we must do the works. This is a work, the will of God. This is what he's inviting us into as his followers, doing the works of the one who sent him. Jesus was passionate about doing the will of his father. He was also passionate about people. You can't read the Gospels and miss that. You can't read the Gospels and not see it, that Jesus had a heart for people, that he cared for them deeply, and he wanted to connect with them. He wanted to know them. He wanted to minister to them. He came to help them in every way possible. And now you contrast that with the religious leaders of the day. Now look what Jesus said about them in Matthew chapter 23, verse 2. He said, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, 
So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Jesus proceeds to give an excoriating rebuke of the Pharisees over the next several verses. Why would he do that? He did that because they were people who did not care about anybody but themselves. And Jesus is trying to show the difference. I don't want you to be like the religious leaders. I don't want you to be like those guys that only care about themselves. I want you to be like me. If you're going to be my follower, then you've got to have a heart for people. Jesus actually had a heart for the people that he came to minister to. He was moved with compassion, the scripture says, when he looked on the crowds. He saw them as lost sheep without a shepherd. What Jesus saw when he looked at the crowds of people in Israel is he saw people who just needed hope. They just needed somebody to tell them, there's hope for you. There's hope for your life. He came to lighten their load, not add to it. Let me ask you a question today. When is the last time your heart broke for somebody? When's the last time you really let your heart break for somebody other than yourself? When's the last time that you loved someone like Jesus loves them? When you looked at them and you saw their need, you saw their pain, you saw their despair and their hurt. Let me ask you another question today. Does your existence on the earth, does it add weight to others? Does it increase their burden or does it lighten their load? Jesus showed us the way. He came to become the example for us to follow. He came to serve humanity. And as followers of his, we are called to serve them as well. If you're following Jesus, you can't help but have a heart for people the way that Jesus did. He invites us to follow him because that's the place where we can be transformed. And when you follow him, he'll transform what you're passionate about. Let me give you another area of transformation that happens when you follow Jesus. Here's the second one. He'll also transform your perspective. When you follow Jesus, he'll transform your perspective. I want you to look back at this scripture with me. We, we referenced it earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 61. Luke chapter 9, verse 61, you've got this guy, right, who, who essentially says, like, I want to follow you, Jesus, uh, but I need to go back and tell my family goodbye first. And then you look at how Jesus responds to him in verse 62. He says, no one puts their hand to the plow and looks back. Anybody who does that is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. And again, you read that response and it's kind of eyebrow raising, right? You're like, whoa, that seems kind of harsh. I wouldn't have said that. I may have been like, okay, I get that. That's cool. Maybe you can catch up with this later, you know, but that's not how Jesus responded. And there's a context to this verse. That brings some clarity to why Jesus responded the way he did. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, I want you to know that this verse is so, so precious to me. It is so near and dear to my heart because the Lord used it to speak truth to me in one of my most vulnerable moments. And uh, I, I want to tell you about that quickly because Carmen and I, we, we had moved here to Colorado. We had been here for about a year. And when we first got here, you have to understand that we knew we, we were following Jesus here. We knew that he called us to come here. And when we got here, literally the first day, within 24 hours, miracles started happening. I am not kidding. We saw, like, it, it, I just ran randomly, you know, this city's kind of large. I just randomly ran into two people that I knew from college. I was like, hey, what's up? I didn't know you were here. We didn't know you were here. I just got here yesterday. Cool. I mean, God was just doing these really cool things. I met this guy that I've read his books and I've looked up to him for a long time and I didn't even know him. I'm having a conversation with him and I'm like, yeah, I came here to meet this guy. And he's like, I am that guy. And I was like, shut up. I didn't even know what you look like. He was like, he's like, yeah, man, let me ask you something. Where's the bathroom? I was like, I don't know. I just got here. I have no idea where anything is. <laughs> and like, I'm in a meeting at a mega church I've never been to before. And this guy's up in front, like doing this teaching for hundreds of people. And he he's like, hey, this is my friend, Brian. He just moved here from Georgia. He's going to help me lead this ministry here at this church. And I was like, Oh, cool. <laughs> Great. I mean, there was just things like that that were happening. And it was, it was over and over and over again. God was just putting his stamp of approval on what we were doing. And then it just stopped. All of a sudden. It's kind of that Elijah scenario. You know what I'm talking about? Where the brook dries up. And you're like, I, okay, I, I can't live here. I, there, there's nothing here for me. What am I supposed to do? 
It felt like the brook dried up. There were no more miracles. There was nothing happening. We, couldn't, we were praying for things. We were praying for God to help us lay the foundation to start Life Chapel, and, and there was nothing happening. People that we thought would help us start it, they, they weren't. It was just, what are we supposed to do? It was so confusing. And I remember laying on the floor in my apartment on Murray and Airport. That's right. That's right. I was laying on the floor with my head buried in the carpet. And I was pleading for God to speak to me because it felt like the brook had dried up. And the thing is, is that I was on staff at a great church in Savannah, Georgia, and the guy who replaced me as the music minister there, he didn't work out. He left within a year. And so I'm laying on the floor. I'm miserable in Colorado, and I know that my old job is open again. And I know that at any moment, I'm going to get a phone call saying, Brian, will you come back? And, and I'm laying there and I think, God, I know you called us to Colorado, but right now it feels like the brook has dried up and I don't know what else to do, but, but to go back home, I don't know what else to do for, for me and my family. I don't, know, I don't know what you're doing here. And God, on that floor, I'll never forget it, he spoke to my heart and he said, you got to trust me. I need you to trust me. And then he shared this verse with me and I've read the Bible through many times up to this point. But I never remembered reading that verse. And he says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And let me tell you what that was for me. It was my ship burning moment. It was the, I, okay, there's no going back. There's no going back. I am here and I got to trust God. And it doesn't matter if I die here. I am not leaving this place. That was my moment. And, and the, there's an application to this verse. There's a reason Jesus said that. And listen, I've never plowed a ground in my life. Some of you have. Kudos to you. I've plowed some spiritual ground. We can talk about that. <laughs> but, but there's a reason. And, and I'm told that from farmers and people who do this, they say that when you're plowing the ground, the most important thing for you to do is to keep facing straight forward. You've got to find something ahead that is a frame of reference for you. And as long as you keep your eyes on that thing, you're going to plow straight lines. But if you're looking to the sides and if you're looking back like this, your plow lines are going to they're going to look like this. They're going to be crooked. And that's what Jesus is saying. When you're plowing the ground, you've got to stay focused ahead. Listen to me. Perhaps one of the things that keeps you from following Jesus has been your propensity to look backwards. See, I believe that some of us today are stuck in our past. We're stuck in a, in a place of past glory. Or we're stuck in a place of past woundedness. And our minds are stuck in that place, almost frozen in time, and we can't seem to move past our past. Maybe some of us are stuck in a cycle of family experience, learned behaviors, generational curses that dominate the way we think and we behave, and we're just sort of stuck there. And we don't know how to break ourselves out of that. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he's inviting us to start living life from a whole new perspective, not stuck in an old way of thinking, but being transformed in our minds. And there's a lot of us, and I, the Lord just put this picture in my mind. It's like you look like you're facing forward, but you've got this rearview mirror right here, and that's really what you're looking at. You're living your life looking at your rearview mirror, and 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 and, and your lines are, I mean, get off the road. This guy's dangerous, right? Because you're looking back there. Following Jesus produces this transformation in us. And listen, one of the places that he wants to transform us is in our thinking. I want you to see something uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31. And I don't think you have this scripture, Kelly. I, I, I just added this in late. But John, chapter 8, verse 31, if you look at that, this is what Jesus said. It's a, it's a well-known passage of scripture. But Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. Remember, disciple is just a follower of Jesus, right? So if you hold to my teaching, you're actually following me. Watch this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, transformation in our thinking that actually breaks us out of destructive life patterns happens when we get confronted with the truth. The truth has one objective, and that objective is to confront the lies we've believed. 
And so we expose our minds to the truth, and then truth goes to work. Watch this. Deconstructing the lies that we've believed about ourselves, and the lies we've believed about God, and the lies we've believed about our world. And as the truth is working to deconstruct the lies and pull them out of our minds, this transformation in our thinking is happening because now our thinking is not based on a lie. It's based on the truth. And according to Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 32... Truth, when you embrace it, it works to produce freedom in you. Freedom from what? Freedom from this idea that you've got to perform to be loved. Freedom from this this thinking that you've got to search for happiness and purpose rather than living in it because you are a child of God. It, it, It brings you freedom from a past that has dictated your life experience. It gives you freedom from the influence of lies that have sabotaged your life. It gives you freedom from strongholds of sin that have told you that this is who you are and this is the way you've got to live your life. The truth confronts those things, and when it confronts those things, it brings freedom into your heart. Transformation in your thinking causes you to live free lives. Now look again at what Jesus said. You'll know the truth how? When you hold to his teaching by actually becoming a disciple, by being someone who's actually following him. This is what I'm talking about. Transformation, the thing that actually causes you to live free, happens because you're following Jesus. It's not just about belief. That's just the starting line. You follow him and you're being transformed. Every day you walk with him, you're a little bit more free. Every day you walk with him, you're a little bit more healed. That's what he does. And this is what I have so strong in my heart to tell you today. I believe some of you, listen, you want freedom so badly. (laughs) It's the cry of your heart. It really is. You want to be free more than anything. And Jesus wants you to be free too. He does. That's one of the reasons he came to this earth. He came to bring freedom to the captives, the Bible says. A release from darkness for the prisoner. That's one of the reasons he came. He wants you to be free. But believing in him is just the start of your journey towards freedom. The transformation that actually makes you free happens as you follow him. But if you're going to follow him, you got to stop looking back. you got to start looking with him ahead. James says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 25. He says, but whoever, watch this, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let me ask you something today. How different would your life be if you started living in the light of truth rather than in the darkness of false beliefs and lies. How different would the way you interact with other people be if the lie was not influencing you anymore and you had a truthful view of yourself and God? How different would your decisions be, your life decisions be, if you weren't trying to earn someone's attention and favor and respect because you already have it? I'm going to tell you what that would be. Your life would be completely different. Your life would be completely transformed. And I'm telling you today on the authority of the Word of God that you've got a pathway that leaves you in a place of freedom, but you've got to follow Jesus to get there. You've got to walk with Him. You've got to trust Him in this. And as you begin to follow Jesus, one of the things that happens over time is your perspective begins to change and you start looking forwards rather than backwards. I want to go back quickly to Luke chapter 9. And I want, to, I want to explain some context here so that you don't think Jesus is just mean, okay? Because this, this is the context of why Jesus responded to those three people the way that he did. Luke chapter 9 tells us that Jesus knew he was running out of time on this earth. He knew that he was getting ready to go to the cross and lay down his life. And in just a few verses up from the ones that we read in Luke chapter 9, if you look at verse 51, the scripture says this. It says, it came to pass... When the time had come for him to be received up, that means to go to heaven, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And see, this gives some understanding as to why Jesus responded to the people the way that he did. Because listen, there was no time to wait for dad to die. There was, there was, no, there was no time to go home and, and, and spend a few more days with family. Jesus is moving. He has set his face, Isaiah the prophet said in the Old Testament, like a flint towards Jerusalem. He is unmoved towards Jerusalem. He knows I am going to the city to do what I came to this earth to do, and nothing could get in his way. Even Peter tried to get in his way, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because he had set his eyes 
toward Jerusalem, towards purpose. And he knew this window of opportunity for people who actually want to follow me, it's closing fast. But look at the wording in Luke 9 and 51. He steadfastly sets his face towards Jerusalem. Look at this. His perspective was completely on the will of God for his life. His perspective, his eyes were completely on what was in front of him, not on what was behind him. And as we follow Jesus, he calls us to live the same way, to see what's ahead and, and, and to proceed towards the calling of God on our lives, the place of our destiny and purpose, to fix our eyes and relentlessly pursue what God has called us to. The writer of Hebrews speaks to this too. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Look at this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As you follow Jesus, listen, he is the one you fix your eyes on. He's the one. He is our prize. And as we follow him, what we're doing is we're, we're plowing the ground for people who are coming behind us. But you got to keep your eyes on him. You got to stop looking backwards. You're blazing a trail for your children. You're blazing a trail for generations that are going to come after you. You're making it easy for them to get to Jesus and to follow him too. But you've got to make a decision. And that in that includes changing your perspective, letting him transform that. So as you follow him, he transforms your passions. He transforms your perspective. Here's the third one. As you follow Jesus, he transforms your purpose. He transforms your purpose. Your purpose could be described as your life mission. It's, it's what you were put on this earth to do. And I just want to ask you, do you know what Jesus' mission was? Do you know what he really came to do? He tells us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says this. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, let's go back to the scriptures we opened up with quickly when Jesus called those first disciples. He said to them, follow me. And did he stop there? No. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, follow me and I will transform your life purpose into my purpose for your life. See, listen to me. Your purpose, the reason that you're on this earth, it's so much more than just your day job. Your purpose is so much more than what you do from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. Your purpose has eternal significance. It is so much bigger than anything you could ever imagine or anything you've experienced before. That's what your purpose really is. And what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, as you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. In other words, I'm going to show you what your purpose really is. Watch this. It is to add value to other people. It is to be bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is to help everybody else get to heaven with you and not just make it by yourself. Jesus is saying the same thing to us today that he said to the disciples in the gospels. Follow me and I will make you, I will transform you into becoming fishers of men. And listen, there's a lot of ways to do that. I know you read about some of the things that the disciples did, and you think, gosh, I could never do that. You read about them casting out devils and healing people on the street. There's the one in Acts that said, like, just their shadow would fall on people, and they would get healed. And it's pretty amazing stuff. And you're like, I could never do that. Listen, it's not you doing it. It's the Holy Spirit in you that's doing it. And when you invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life, he actually, he, he turns you into someone that God can use for his glory and for his purpose. And there's a lot of ways that you can fish for men. We can talk about some of the things Jesus talked about, like being salt and light, being a city on a hill that can't be hidden. One of the ways that you can do it is just by inviting people to come to church. It's really that simple. I was thinking about the woman at the well in John chapter four. Jesus has this incredible moment of ministry with her. And at the end of it, the Bible says that she got up at once and ran into town. And what did she say? She said, come and see this man. Come and see this man. That's what the invitation is. Come and see. I just met the Messiah. You want to meet him? He's still there. He's hanging out at the well today. He hasn't left yet. Come and see him. Come and see him. Jesus gave her an invite card and was like, now go and invite some people to come and see me. But listen to me, this is, why, this is why it's so important that we think about these things at Easter. There is a power in a personal invitation. There really is. 
When you go and you tell people, hey, come and see what God has done. for Come and see the one who's caused all this to happen for me. It can transform somebody's life. I want you to watch this video with me. I'm Patrick. And I'm Shauna. And we have two kids. Our son, Kaysen, is three, and our daughter, Carlin, is five months old. When we moved to Colorado, we knew we really wanted to find a church uh, for our kids and for our family. We really wanted to have the Lord in our lives, but we really didn't know where to start. And luckily, we actually knew Tim and Andrea through the family friends, and they introduced us to Life Chapel, and I'm so glad they did because we'll never look back. The way uh, Tim and Andrea really introduced us to Life Chapel, we were over at their house uh, eating dinner, and uh, they asked us, you know, what was our spiritual levels? And we said, well, we're very religious and we want to actually find a church. And they said, well, you should come check out our church we go to. And we're like, okay, well, what's it about? And they kind of explained to us uh, what the church was like. And we were like, let's give it a shot. So our first time at Life Chapel, of course, was during uh, COVID still happening. And uh, we really didn't know where to sit or who to sit with. But luckily, Tim and Andrea were there. And they said, you know, come sit with them. And uh, But it was very comfortable to you know, be who we are and not be somebody else. And the, the music really spoke to us and the preaching really spoke to us. And it really, I mean, it was, for me, it was a one hit wonder. You know, I didn't want to go anywhere else. I don't know what the... And we were also glad to have a safe place for our kids to be able to attend. And he really enjoys it here. Since we started coming to Life Chapel, at least for me, the Lord has really found his place in my heart and in my life. You know, it was totally not there, but coming here has really opened my eyes and showed he is here to stay and he's guiding the way. And for me, I think it's helped our family grow closer together and it's helped us learn. Um, it's, it's helped us have moments to learn more about God as a family. About a month after attending Life Chapel, we decided to go through Growth Track. And growth Track really helped us find our purpose. And one of the ministries we, I decided to get involved in was kids ministry. And it's gonna really help, I think, with my experience and way to show the Lord to the kids. And I've been really enjoying serving with the hospitality team and getting to know new people. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, come on. Patrick and Shauna, we are super proud of you. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. Um, it's cool to see what God is doing, but listen, I want you to hear how it all started. It started with an invitation. Um, you got a family that God is working mightily in their life. He's transforming them in amazing ways. He's showing them purpose. And it all started with a trans it all started with an invitation because somebody invited them to come to church. Listen, I want to tell you, th this is why it's so powerful. This is why it's so powerful. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly. This is why it matters. It matters because people, they need to hear this. this there's a power in personal invitation. And if you'll do this, people will respond. They will say yes. Not everybody will say yes, but some people will say yes. Listen, let, let me just say it this way. Who's waiting on you to cast the net? Who's literally waiting on you to invite them. Who's, who's waiting on you to invite them to come and see? We say we believe in Jesus and he's transformed our lives and we're so excited about who he is and, and we're going to heaven and we're so excited about that. But what about everybody around us? Are they going to heaven too? Does Jesus want them to go to heaven? You better believe he does. And his grand plan to save the world, it involves you and me without an invitation. Come and see. Come and see the one who made a difference in my life. That's why this matters. Come on, let's stand together. That's why Easter is so important. I mean, it's a day we celebrate and it's, a, it's an awesome thing. Like I love to celebrate Easter with my church family. There's nothing like it. It's going to be so exciting. But the most exciting thing for me by far is seeing people that don't know Jesus that are far from God, that come in here and they don't know what to expect and they don't know what's going to happen and they come in here and they're just like, I'm, I'm just here because there's an egg hunt for my kids or whatever. And then at some point, <laughs> at some point, this word becomes life for them and it becomes very real and you see it, hallelujah, you see it happen and you see tears start streaming down their faces. You see their countenance change 
you see hope begin to rise up where discouragement and defeat used to live. And at the end, you see those hands go up. Yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to become a disciple of Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Listen, that's what Jesus has asked us to do. It is to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're here for. I mean, I know what my role is. My role is to preach the gospel undefiled. The gospel of Jesus Christ that sets people free. What's your role? It's as simple as going to your neighbor and saying, hey, come with me for Easter Sunday. It's hitting up that family member. It's hitting up that friend. It's hitting up that coworker. Come on, who is God putting on your heart? Bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now. Who is God putting on your heart? Who is he, who is he pulling you to go and talk to and invite to come to church with you so that he can transform their life? Lord, I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, we would, we would be so impressed, Lord, to become people who are fishers of men, God, not just living for ourselves, but understanding that there is a much bigger purpose to our lives than that. God, and you've put us here and you've saved us to be a light in a dark world to help other people find you. And God, there are people that you love and they don't know you, God, but you love them so much. And Lord, you're sending other people that you love to them to invite them to come and hear the gospel, be transformed. God, I pray that you would put those people on our hearts and lead us to them. I pray, God, that you would give us courage to speak up, Lord. In the grocery line, you would give us courage to speak up. At the restaurant, you would give us courage to speak up. At the gas station, God, you would give us courage to speak up. At work, but I might get fired. It's okay. It's okay. Give us courage to speak up. God, friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, give us courage to speak up, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work to draw them, say yes, to come and see, and their lives could be transformed and changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to say another prayer before we close out in worship. And this one is for people who, you heard me talking about sort of living life, looking at the rearview mirror, and you know that's you. You know I'm talking to you. And the issue is not your belief. You believe in Jesus. You're going to heaven. That's not the issue. But literally, you're just kind of standing there like, what's next? What do I do next? And every time you, you get ready to take a step forward, there's something in you that causes you to do this. You get spooked and you're like, oh, I better just stay where I'm at. And that's the power of your past, trying to dictate your future. This is what Jesus promised. He promised to break that off of you. Your past has no power over you because of Jesus, because of the work he can do and wants to do. And I want to pray over you today if that's you. And you've been, you've been, you want to follow Jesus. You want to do it, but there's that fear. There's that, that hold from your past. I want to pray for you today. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me one more time. Father, you know our hearts. You know, God, where we are. We came into this place, Lord. Some of us have been stuck in our spiritual walk, Lord, because of our past, because of fear, Lord. And I pray, God, that today, Holy Spirit, you would move in a powerful way, God, that you would set us free from our past. Lord, that our eyes would shift from a rearview mirror, God, to be fixed on you. Lord, I pray that we would lock eyes with you. And as we do, it's not eyes of judgment or condemnation or fear. It's eyes that are inviting us. Lord, there's a big smile on your face because this is what you want for our lives. God, give us the courage to trust you and give us the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to break free from our past and finally start living the life that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship with the band.